1: In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing, whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here, and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable.
0: All right, guys. Welcome to another Land and Legacy podcast to yet to be determined if it's a for love of the land or a habitat heroes podcast because i'm knocking one out and matt's knocking out another one um both topics are uh something pretty popular among uh this one topic that we're covering here today is uh extremely popular um uh, right now and the other one was an extremely popular podcast that we had several weeks ago about ponds matt's handling it with todd mr todd watts over there and then uh We've got returning guest, dear friend of Land of Legacies, Mr. Tyler Ross. Tyler, are you there? Yes, sir. Yeah, thanks for coming back, man. Hey, man, happy to be here. Yeah, so uh, uh, a little bit of insight for people. You know, Tyler, he lives in uh, – all right, got to share the story. Um, you sent me a YouTube video the other day, and <laughs> it's one of those things that I'm like, huh, that's interesting. That's almost like uh, – Around here, we have a couple of towns that have unique names, and if you say it, mm-hmm. if you say it wrong, we know you're an out of towner. And yep. uh, it's like we have a, a town called Lebanon, uh, but it's spelled yeah. like Lebanon, and so everybody's like, "Oh, up there by Lebanon." I'm like, "Oh, you ain't from around here." And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you live in, and I'm almost scared to say it, but uh, Appalachia, Appalachia Mountains, uh, right? Did I say that right? Oh, uh,
1: you said it wrong, Appalachia, it way wrong. Yes, Appalachian. Appalachian. The best, to, <laughs> the best way to remember how to say it is, uh, if you call it App- Appalachian, I'll throw at Appalachia. <laughs> <laughs> so, so so, what is the correct pronunciation? It's Appalachia. Appalachia. Uh, I mean, Appalachia. Yeah. Appalachia. You know, it, it's funny because I've talked to folks up in the northern apps, and they'll call it, like, I've talked to them and, you know, talking about the range and like the mountains and things they're seeing up there on the, the habitat and landscape scale or side of things. And when they're talking to me, they'll say Appalachia. But when they go like on a podcast or they go and they're talking to other people, they say Appalachia <laughs> and I'm like, what are you guys doing? And it's like Alan Jackson broke my heart when uh, he had the song Appalachian mountain girl, but he's, he sang it Appalachian mountain girl. Uh-oh. And I was just like, Alan, what are you doing to me, man? Yeah. Of all people, Alan, you let me down. Yeah.
0: Appalachia. Yeah. Appalachia. So you are located in the Appalachia Mountains,
1: right? Yeah. And I'm in a little town that's actually, the way we pronounce the town is also obviously different than everyone else. Um, The town I live in is called, it's spelled L E I C E S T E R. So how would you, how would you spell, like, how would you say that?
0: Oh, man, put me on the spot here. You rattle that off. L E I, what?
1: C E S T E R.
0: Oh man. Uh Leicester.
1: So we get that from people a lot too. And it's actually yeah, uh, it's Leicester. So it's said the same way as the town in England. Um but not because like we're like, oh yeah, we're happy we're from England. <laughs> yeah, but, right. There's a bunch of Scotch Irish that settled this area and the gentleman who uh was one of the founders i guess of the area his name was Lester Chapman and yeah. it was spelled that way so So you spell that yeah.
0: how, how do you pronounce that again?
1: Lester L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R. Lester, L-E-S-T-E-R. Lester. Mm. Yeah That's interesting. It's also it's also Appalachian for God's country. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Appalachia <laughs> Appalachia. Yeah. I was. I tried to
0: tell myself before I, we did this podcast, I'm gonna rattle us off exactly the way uh, it needs to be said. But as soon as, as soon as I saw the word go across in my head, I was like, "Uh oh, uh oh, I forgot how to pronounce <laughs> that correctly."
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, I think y'all had. Uh, I can't remember if it was you. Yeah, I want to say y'all had Lindsey on, Lindsey Thomas. Yeah. And uh, and he said Appalachia, and I I tweet him, and I said, "Dude, you said it wrong, man." But I just yeah. oh, I give people a hard time. Yeah, you said it wrong.
0: Who are mm-hmm. you? That's like uh for yeah. me. I've always said uh acres cuz that's the way I grew up saying it. I got made fun of even in grade school. People say, "What? Like like the uh the the preppy girls in in my uh grade would be like, "Oh, he's such a hillbilly. He said acorn. What does that even mean?" And uh <laughs> I've said it my whole life, acorn. And yeah. Uh, you know, I start talking to people, and I go north, and I say that, and they kind of like look at me like, "What did you just say?" I'm like, "Acorn." Oh, oh you might call it an acorn, um, but yeah. So you know, people have their different languages for their different yeah. regions, and some are What's, right and some are wrong, right? That's right. Yeah. That's so, right. um, it's like when people say
1: "creek" and creek.
0: Oh, that one don't even. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the other one that gets me, and Matt does this, um. How would you pronounce your uh, your mom or your dad's sister? She is your not your uncle but your aunt. Yeah, she's your aunt, and uh, yeah. and Matt's always called her aunt. I'm like, oh man, oh man. And I know there's people that listen to this that they may say uh, Appalachian or yeah, whatever the bad terminology say for they, you is. They
1: call their Appala- Appalachian aunt aunt. aunt.
0: Yeah, Appalachian aunt. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: and she lives up That's by the creek, which is fine, which is fine.
1: <laughs> it takes all.
0: It takes all kinds. That's right. It takes all kinds. But anyway,
1: unless they unless they say Appalachia wrong,
0: unless you say yeah, <clears throat> yeah for sure. Unless you say Akron wrong, and then yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, so you know, we had you on a podcast months ago, I think now, and. Yeah. Uh, With your position, so we wanted to cover a couple main topics today, but I told Tyler before show for our listeners that I said, really, there's just a bunch of rabbit trails we can go down, but public glands is something that is very trendy right now. It's very, Mm -hmm. everybody wants to uh, swing. They just all, a lot of people in the industry and a lot of people on social media are very much keep keep public lands public, and and they're all wanting to discuss um, public lands and the importance of public lands. Um, But there's also some – I haven't – and I don't know. I'm almost scared to go there, but I don't know if there's a reason why some people aren't. There's there's clear pros, but there's not a whole lot of people that are preaching against it. And we're not Mm going to be here preaching against public lands, but we are going to raise some awareness on – the importance of being a little bit careful on what you're trying to promote when you say keep it public. Um, there are some things out there that, you know, that's such a blanket statement that mm-hmm. it's it's very – it's very – a little bit irritating sometimes for me when I hear people make those blanket statements and then they don't follow it up with anything that has any meaning to it. Um, and there's a reason why Tyler's the guy on here because um, – you're one of the, the people that I talk to about this on a weekly basis, and, uh, what are your thoughts
1: as we, as so, we kind of jump into public lands? Yeah, so, I guess, uh, I guess folks that don't really know me or haven't really talked to me, um, my view on public lands, um, is actually how I've got to, or my involvement with public lands, public land management, is how I've got to meet a lot of people, talk to a lot of folks, and, um, led to a few things that uh now i volunteer with um with a couple different organizations um i like to say all of them are hunter you know hunter and angler and trapping organizations that uh, they all have a focus where they you know a piece where they're focused on public lands but for me for me specifically i grew up um from where i live right now 10 minutes from my house is a beautiful piece of state state owned state managed uh game lands and then oh lord probably probably three miles from my house is uh portions of pisgah national forest um and when i was in college i was on nantahala here at the house you know here growing up i didn't have access to a whole lot of public land or private land i had access to public land but um wildlife populations of large mammals it's interesting to see, like, what wildlife populations have done in this area over the, the past few years. But, you know, at one point we had tons of grouse. Um, uh, we didn't have a whole lot of turkey. Bear were actually rebounding. There was a lot there was a lot that we were recovering from. Yeah. And um, so growing up deer hunting, which is like, you know, the most hunted animal in North America. When I was growing up, if you told somebody you saw a deer, you better take them and show them the track.
0: Mm.
1: You know, um, and we're just now starting to get past that and starting to come, you know, our, the population now is way, 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 way advanced from what it was, um, you know, when I was growing up. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a, I guess we just skipped a rabbit right there. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really uniquely connected to public lands. And uh, and I, I actually, think a lot
0: of people are, I, I myself yeah. included. I grew up with a family farm but mm-hmm. the the game populations were so uh so i guess poor um that you know if if we started bow hunting in september and we gun hunted in november after that you might as well go somewhere else because the hunting was so terrible that mm-hmm. it was just it wasn't worth our time so i spent i grew up hunting public ground both federal and state and uh, and I think <clears throat> in my state there's a clear difference between federal federally owned and state owned, and mm-hmm. I think that's where you know there was this huge debate. Um, what was it last year um, or two years ago when that national park uh, was? They tried to I guess they handed it over to the state to own it. Is that So correct? it was
1: the it was the Bears Ears monument. But the the big thing that like started I guess the state versus federal ownership um ordeal was and this is a touch of a rabbit but we're going to chase that bad boy um yeah it was hr hmm, 621 i think jason chavez from utah introduced it i want to say two or three years ago and uh overwhelmingly he got shut down but what that what that was was that was actually a rule from uh, an administration in the 90s and uh I'll try not to, like, say which administration it was, because I think one of the big things around public lands is it gets very politically polarized quick. No, absolutely. I think the political polarization of any of these things, habitat, wildlife, public lands, any of that stuff is taken away from the actual conversation. And I'll yield to uh, what Shane Mahoney said about we don't need to drag the – we don't need to drag conservation down to the level of politics we need to elevate politics to the level of conservation
0: yeah i feel like
1: sometimes that's greatly avoided and that doesn't happen um but what happened was it was uh, advocating for utah and other western states to where they could take uh the state to take control of federally held lands yes and I, randy newberg's ten times better at this than i am he's done a lot a lot on this, but he goes and talks about there's a very big difference between East and West when it comes to public lands. Like where I live at in Pisgah National Forest, 26,000 acres, I want to say, um, were donated from the Vanderbilt estate. Um, George Vanderbilt's wife uh, donated quite a bit that helped start portions of it, of the Pisgah National Forest, and uh, other por- portions of land were bought and paid for. Uh, by the federal government, um, Weeks Act purchases, and then the uh, Teddy Roosevelt did the Midnight Forest. They called it the Midnight Act or the Midnight Forestry Act, yep. and um, took, you know, made a lot of areas designate part of the national forest system. And so, versus out west, to where um, <coughs> the lands, when a state came to statehood, I guess you know, in the, around the time of the the Homestead Act and stuff like that. Um, when they come into statehood, they had to, so there was a territory, right, that the federal government got from the Louisiana Purchase to where we bought the land. We actually bought it, so Spain held it, but France pretty much acted like the go-between folks, so that's why we're told, like, we bought the land from France, but technically, technically, I think we bought it from Spain, and I could be wrong, and I'm sure... You're going to get emails and comments about that, and that's fine. I'm going to
0: send them your way. Make sure we put Good. your make Good. sure we put your email address at the end of this so they go to you, not me, huh?
1: It's adam at TV. Or, but yeah, it, it's oh, Matt. It's no.
0: Oh, he just gave <laughs> away our email address, huh? <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, man. I just made that up. I just yeah. made that up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, no, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> but what would happen is you know you you have a territory and you go out and you know that territory was there were rules before a territory could become a state so part of it was like the state or the the federal government owned all that land that was the territory so that was federally held land that was federally owned land and then when you applied for statehood you were given you know they said something i think it was like uh, and really folks i'm butchering it but you know, Randy, Randy Newberg got a lot on this and it's awesome, but pretty much they would have like grids, quadrants out and they would say, all right, we will give you grid A and grid C for land for you to hold, for you to sell off or develop or however you got to, to fund your schools or fund stuff for the state government. But then the rest of these areas are going to be set aside. You know, that's still going to be federally, federally held land. You know what I mean? Like, so that's why you have such a large portion. so the, the like how federal land came to be in the West versus how it came to be in the East is pretty different. And then it's also, there's a lot of differences between the agencies that control it um, or that manage it rather um, because I'm a very big, you know, anybody that talks to me, I'm a very big proponent of that's, that's your land that they're managing for you. Like I'm a very proud of the fact that we have these lands.
0: Yeah. And, um, and I, I am as anybody... well. And, and, and I think that's one thing for me while you're, gathering your thoughts here, uh, or I'm just going to jump in. I'll say, (laughs) I'm not, and in no way am I advocating turn back our public grounds. In no way. And I hope, I started this podcast in a way to say that you know there's a lot of blanket statements, but I think there needs to be some people kind of bringing it back in and and talking about the importance of understanding what those statements are when we say keep it public because absolutely it's very it's very easy to just throw out those statements um but I think there's a lot of people throwing it out there and don't actually know what in the what they're advocating for
1: yeah and, well and so yeah absolutely yeah. but. What I was going to say is the only other part I was going to add to that is you have the the two big ones that started around Teddy Roosevelt's time. I guess was uh, Gifford Pinchot. You ever heard of Gifford Pinchot? Uh So first chief of the Forest Service. Uh, I think he's a governor in Pennsylvania. He actually brought Carl Schenck over here, uh, where I here in my neck of the woods on the Biltmore State, and he was you know one of the foresters for George Vanderbilt. and they actually started Forestry in America with the Biltmore School of Forestry just, just down the road from me in Transylvania County at the Cradle of Forestry. So Gifford was very, very, you know, conservation minded of sustainable utilization of our resources, a wise use, smart use. And the, the U.S. Forest, you know, the National Forest System was set up as a multi-use, very much multi-use, but it's also a big part of it was as a timber timber reserve, you know, with an R, not with a P, timber reserve for us to utilize that. And that was our, that was our timber holds. Yep. And, um, and then, you know, that was, he got, he drove that side of the public lands. And the other side was John Muir, another great American who was very, very wilderness preservation minded. Yes. And, you know, more of a hands-off, you know, was worried about the destruction that, you know humans. Could have on these large swaths of land, and you know it's in some extent rightfully so. You know, but uh, John Muir pretty much was he—he he started the you know national park system, and he was over the parks and stuff like that, and um, on the Department of Interior side of things. So those organizations grew, and now there's more. You got the Bureau of Land Re- Recl- Reclamation, um, BLM is Bureau of oh gosh, Bureau of Land and Mineral. So we don't have BLM in the East that I know of. We definitely don't have it in North Carolina. Um, No. But that's a very um, Western-oriented agency. And there's quite a few others. You know, like uh, when I was in Idaho this year, we drove through, oh, man, it was the U.S. Department of Energy land um, that you still could hunt. You know, and there's a lot of great things to be said for that. While we were out there out West, there was a lot of opportunity. There was a lot of stuff there in the Habitat. I guess this is the big sticking point where, you know, when you talk about is the habitat out there was for that ecosystem and for that area. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Yes. You know, you, you had like <clears throat> what you read about, you know, about when settlers were going out there, these sagebrush areas and these, you know, these mountain tops and all this stuff where <clears throat> you're looking at all these different, you know, uh, evergreens and conifers and stuff like that in this high altitude all these different things but you're also looking out and you're seeing they're still up here they're still bison here There's still you know a couple of the big predators are reintroducing like thankfully where i was at in idaho they didn't have the the grizzlies weren't there yet in that area but um you know they had all these all these things of the charismatic mega you know megaflora megafauna of all these working parts of you know, the habitat and ecosystem, the whole matrix of it that we don't have here on the East. So, um, yeah, that's that's the big sticker, in my opinion, between in the realm of public lands. And I think that's where a lot of people get, you know, the political polarization comes out is how they're maintained and and not just the ownership side of it, but how they're maintained and how they're taken care of. And, so,
0: and I think from my experience, a lot of the maintained and how they're managed is the in the issues I have is it's a lack thereof Um, there's very little management there's very little um, maintenance that's gone on because they don't have the funding to actually do the management Um, and then there are a lot of special interest groups that that when they try to do something, for example, let's do a, a thinning of the timber. Let's say there's a timber harvest that goes on. There's a lot of um, outside organizations that that are put in place and, and put some pressure on the federal government or the, the state government to where they have to back off on that, to where there is no thinning. So then you have a closed canopy forest that's unmanaged. Um, it's degrading in its, in its pr- productiveness. And therefore, habitat goes away or, or yeah. decreases. And mm-hmm. and that's where, you know, we can, we can circle back and say the difference between preservation and conservation. Um, there is very much a, a mindset that says preservation is the way to manage our lands. And it's very much, like you said, a hands-off, don't touch, nature will fix itself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But at the same time, when we make that statement, Nature fixed itself through disturbance, which was yep. lots of grazing and lots of fire in mm-hmm. most places to where it's not preservation if we remove grazing and we remove fire. Then it becomes yep. uh, half preservation and we remove the way that nature managed itself. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. causing huge problems. Um, and But then you look at conservation side and the wide, wise use of our natural resources to where... I've always been on that side of the fence because I don't feel like in it's 2019 and with the amount of invasive species and the amount of residential um, areas that... Yeah, urbanization
1: and suburbanization.
0: There you go. Um, bringing in some East terminology, um, right? You're Eastern. You guys are a little bit more high-tech in the world than, than us Midwestern <laughs> hillbillies. Um <laughs> and then you bring that into it and as you bring that into it you get more invasives we'll touch on that in a little while um to where now we're drastically out of balance and out of out of whack with with the way nature was intended and yeah. that's where i think conservation has to be done or cuz if we go into a preservation mindset and uh oh this is a bad one but the wilderness terminology um which here in Southern Missouri, we have a couple wilderness areas. And in my experience, this is not a leftist or a right mindset. I'm just saying it, what it is from a habitat standpoint, the wilderness areas in Southern Missouri are some of the worst habitat and most unproductive landscapes we have. What what about where you're at? Yes, I would
1: say I would mirror that statement greatly. Um, So, before, there was one thing I was just going to touch on before we delve into the wilderness side, if that's okay with you. Yeah,
0: let's hear it. One
1: one of the big things we always hear from anybody, when, regardless, of, and one person they always, 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 always quote, is Aldo Leopold. Yes. And what does Aldo Leopold say is the best way to restore our landscape? By the same way that we destroyed it, right? Yes. By the axe, by the plow, by the cow, by the fire, by the rifle, you know. And it, 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 it brings me to a thing to where everyone wants to quote Leopold until it's time to do Leopold stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, because we're we, you know, and and I just to be one hundred percent honest with you, Adam, when I went when I started my bachelor's degree, I had this 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 ethic, right? This wilderness view of this you know, this you know what humans are messing all these things up, talking as if we were not a part of this landscape. We we don't belong here. We're not an alien force that's invaded here. We've been here. You know, like where I live at, there's actually a document that if you want to, I'll send it to you in the show notes and, you know, you can put in the show notes or whatever to where people can go read about the Southern Appalachians to where it talks about the cultures and the people that were here. For the past 10,000 years, people have been a part of this landscape and have participated in the disturbances that wild species such as wildlife, plant species, pollinators that we haven't seen in a long time, native species that we're like struggling to restore to the landscape. They were a part of that, and they played a vital role in maintaining this area to the best of our understanding. You, under, you know what I mean? Yep. And, but that's not that's not what's told. That's not what's discussed. We have this thing of, you know, me. I get into this discussion with a lot of folks. Like we, we've always got to have a. We've always got to point a finger. We've always got to have somebody to blame. So, for the way our landscape looks, I feel like we blame ourselves, and we're like, "God, oh, humans are horrible." And don't get hey, don't get me wrong. People are stupid. You know, there's horrible things I've witnessed with my job. I've had to go out and see some things that, you know, make my skin crawl. Oh, and, and and I
0: mean, right now we're looking at, we've got this, and we haven't even mentioned it on a podcast. I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that, but we've got this trend, uh, this hashtag that we're trying to, to spread awareness with, but trash trophies, and you're part of that yeah. with the True Conservationist yeah. um, and Sportsman's Alliance and, there are several other people and um, yeah. involved in that there's I think there's like six of us that are all trying to spread awareness of this trash trophies I mean it's obvious we're not very um, we're not very good at at clean keeping at, at cleaning
1: house no no, no. and and I, I guess a very good example of that is I was at a I was at a meeting over this current force planter vision that's happening on Pisgah and Halo And I was discussing my view of what needed to happen on the 700,000 acres that are open for management decisions. Now, that 700,000 acre number has been completely misconstrued and misrepresented by very biased um, and anti-conservation organizations as a $700,000 or 700,000 acres are opened up to an industrial clear cut. We have not seen an industrial clear cut. And it's just, that's a point that, i'm going to circle back to that but the individual i was discussing this stuff with i brought up a crop tree release and they said what is that so i explained what it was and they got upset they said you know we don't need to get in there and do anything with it. the trees are going to outcompete themselves not understanding that the trees that are dominating the landscape are trees that at the time of settlement were not even secondary species yep they were lower you know lower areas um Lower, you know, lower down the mountainside, pop- tulip poplars and red maples, they were not the dominant species, you know what I mean, because we had mm. the chestnut.
0: That's right. And
1: then we started to see the oaks decline here, and, you know, for multiple reasons, the tulip poplars and the red maples are creeping up the slope, and they're over, they're dominating areas because of how well they do. So I was trying to explain that to the individual. I brought up the elk, and I brought up the buffalo, and, you know, or the bison, and I brought up all the different things we had on this landscape and what all that looked like. And talk to him about the bulbs that we have that are managed, those, you know, that are managed out here on the and Anahela. And the individual just started like spewing, you're just trying to justify a backdoor timber harvest. You're just trying to rape pillage and plunder on the landscape. And it was just like I'm sitting there listening to it and I was like, what the heck is this dude talking about? Yeah. So like he is screaming at me. And I was like, okay. So I just said, you know, clearly I couldn't, I couldn't talk to this person because all I could do was scream. So I, you know, I just myself from that group. Walked out to the parking lot. Had another dude threaten me in the parking lot um, because of my views on timber, <laughs> on sustainable conservation. And this isn't coming from a biased area. This is coming from peer-reviewed science and research and discussions with multiple people that do this work, yeah. and the fact that I do it myself. You know, yeah. in on very large very, very very small scale in the grand scheme of things but you know these people like just went nuts and I was like man this is so so weird so I was gone and I went and saw my sister and while after the meeting and while I was sitting there I stopped in and I think I got something to eat and I looked outside and I seen the dude that had screamed at me in the group it was an older gentleman sitting in a Prius and it was a first-generation Prius which people can Google about what those have done and he's taking a left and he is going into a development that's about 400 home sites. That The houses in there are multi, multi million dollar houses. Mm. There's 12 miles of impervious surface. It has a failing stormwater system and a failing stormwater system, system, septic systems, all these things that are horrible in there. And they tried to build on the side of a flipping mountain. And this yeah. dude's screaming at me. You know what I mean? And I was like, okay. So clearly that just shows there's like, I don't know if people are like that, drastically out of touch, yep. or if they make these. You know, they're like feel like they're part of a cause, and they're coming apart of a cause because you know they've made horrible decisions in the past. I don't know, but it just it showed me that this. You know, these people like people don't listen to me and you, and they don't listen to the folks that are actually out on the landscape because no. they've gotten in their heads that somehow we're just like working for the extraction industry yep. or something. And completely disregard multiple, multiple studies and multiple things that can be replicated that, you know, we've seen um, on multiple landscapes. Yeah. You know, this is – they're more than welcome to contact these any of these universities and discuss these studies with them. But it's just uh, – it went back to the groups that have the money. You know, they'll go into the media and release these statements about industrial scale clear clear-cutting and yep. all these horrible things, because if you throw industrial in front of something, it makes it evil, like Maybe, agriculture. That's right, that's right. You know, which we're like, industrial agriculture. I don't know about you, but like, I have to look very far to see something that just is considered industrial agriculture where I lived. Oh, for and, sure. But if you look in our local papers and stuff, the way they demonize a cattle farmer is insane to me. But. Anyway, that's a whole nother podcast we could do. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. it's just you – know, and, the, and that goes into the wilderness side of things is we think, okay, well, if people are so horrible and they do these things so bad. Naturally, it's great for us just to not have a hands-off. You know, It's great for us not to be a part you – were know, we we're, we're going to manage for wilderness. That's we're right. We're going to manage for preservation. Um, yeah. Yep. But my thing is – Was that
0: a finger snap at the sun there?
1: Yeah, did you hear him? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I heard even then. I, I heard a snap. I was like, heard. I bet that was the dad. Um, yeah, that was that, that, was, that the was the dad. Snap, snap of the fingers and giving a look like as soon as I get off this phone, I swear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, he's he's wide open, man. He's just I mean, he's a happy, he's a happy, awesome, healthy six year old. We're very blessed, and he is full of so much energy.
0: Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, but, and and so like naturally, it makes you think like you know what makes sense preservation wilderness that's not being involved yet at the same time you you know we have these we have those thoughts yet i don't think you'll meet anyone that doesn't recognize that our landscapes are dynamic and they're ever-changing right yep so how can you not like how do you manage something that isn't static that's ever-changing like how how is that you know what i'm saying like yep to me when i when i explain to people um
0: Think of habitat in a line graph, and on on the bottom one axis is time, and on the other axis or axis is habitat quality um mm-hmm. and that is the habitat quality is is your axis that runs up and down, and then you've mm-hmm. got time going left and right and preservation on preservation of of the land, and let's—I'm going to say—natural preservation and man-made preservation. Natural is has fire and has grazing, the naturally occurring disturbances, um, and then. But in in the preservation mindset, because I don't—I mean, outside of wildfires, there's not a whole lot of natural preservation that gets to happen here in the United States, um, well, anywhere in the world for that matter. But um, when you have a line graph and it starts out as it evolves and goes along time. Habitat that's unmanaged degrades, and it degrades, and it, and it keeps dropping in quality until some sort of disturbance comes along. And that's grazing, that's fire, and if that's timber ground, it's probably timber thinning, unless the fire is doing that on its own. And well, by, by that statement, I mean fire is, is hot enough to thin out the timber, to kill some trees, um, and basically remove competition for some of the other healthier trees and that's what happened in the hardwood forest with fire is uh, as a fire broke across the landscape it you had fire uh, resistant species that really um, in certain areas whether it was their specific location I'm talking about on the side of a mountain but I'm talking about in a square footage um, on that piece of ground uh, fire was not as hot so that that tree was able to um, grow and flourish, and never have any problems, but a tree yeah. that was on a south facing slope um, that had had a little bit of a whatever it was it was in a spot where there was a lot of grass on the bottom side. it died because the fire got hot enough to kill it um, and so to me that's where when you look at that line graph, you have as time progresses, you have habitat quality declining until a disturbance happened, and then it starts to increase over time. But then it tops out, and then it starts to decline again. There's always, mm-hmm. it's always moving. It's always even, it's either getting better or worse. And a lot of times in our habitats, in our landscape, it's getting worse. Mm-hmm. And that's what's scary to me. And and people listen to our podcast all the time know that eastern red cedar is a hot topic. It's mm-hmm. not just a hot topic, um, it's the reason it's a hot topic for us is it's because of our location here in here in the Midwest eastern red cedar is taking over our woodlots and nobody's saying anything about it because they don't know it they're not watching it and there's a lot of deer hunters and if you're one of them I'm sorry but you're part of the problem um, when you say that it's great deer bedding eastern red cedar was not spread across the landscape like it is now years and years and years ago when the white-tailed deer were still doing fine and winter's You could make the argument winters could have been much worse, and there were winters that was much worse than what we experience now, but deer still survived. When we say deer are using cedar trees as good bedding or that cedar trees are good bedding for deer, it's because that's the only bedding they really have, um, and it's a sanctuary. And what I'm seeing here in, let's use these wilderness areas in southern Missouri, what I'm seeing is areas that should be woodlands and glades and a majority of oaks are now turning into you have you have tall trees that are oaks and the whole understory is cedars. And once those mm-hmm. oaks die off, they, there's not enough oak regeneration below those cedar trees or below those oaks to be the next generation. The next generation is tree, of trees is eastern red cedar, and that's Absolutely. what I see in unmanaged unmanaged land. And a lot of that is federally owned. Take that back. Let's take one step back. A lot of federally owned land here in the Midwest is that exact story. Our forests are changing due to mismanagement. And mismanagement happens because of no money, no funding, or not enough manpower. And I've always advocated this, that I think if we could talk to these groups that are really against it and help them understand the science behind thinning to where the government makes money. It makes the forest healthier. Um, It makes more habitat. It makes um, wildfires uh, less likely to happen. Um, It allows us to make some money to where we could do prescribed fire to eliminate, completely eliminate wildfires. And then Mm -hmm. at the same time, it would open up to where there's grazing opportunities to where the government could um, lease out grazing rights. And so that's where you get into the public lands of saying, I'm all for public lands as long as everybody can use them. But whenever it's just whatever, it's just birding opportunities there's no hunting rights there's no fishing rights or there's no uh you can't there's no thinning of the timber there's no uh, there's no active management that's when i start going ah, we need we don't need any more of that land um we need land that that people can use from all aspects and i Absolutely. just talked for a while you got anything to add to that i know you do
1: no it sounds like it sounds like to me you're describing the thing called multiple use that's
0: right, and, and to me, multiple use process, property, uh, property and landscapes is is what was happening um, before settlement. We had grazing, and, we had fire, we had and and the the timber thinning. Once again, it wasn't people cutting the trees. Now that started when people started really colonizing, but the trees were thin through the fire. That's how that's how big the fires were.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, and. And I think the other thing is like I I'll just go ahead and tell you what my dream is that I know I'll never live to see and I'll never you know not on this not on this life, but my dream is to one day I would love nothing more than for this native landscape of Western North Carolina, Southern Appalachians, all these native areas to um be back sorry. Be back yeah, to what I'd they love were I've loved nothing more, sorry. My the youngest one's coming to me needing something now. But, um, <laughs> The yeah. uh, I would love nothing more than for these. Oh, you got your finger. Sorry. Uh oh. Uh um, oh.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm lo- the same way. I would love to see the glades restored and the prairies restored. And here's the thing: we're never going to see it in a in a broad scheme of things, broad no. scale, because it's hard to make money off that. And there's a lot of people trying to grow crops or grow cattle uh, yeah. or whatever it is, but there is an opportunity for cattle farmers to use these native landscapes to not only improve their production but make more money. And then mm-hmm. there's an there's opportunity for landowners to make money off of thinning their timber and in the same time improving the landscape. How many articles have you read in the last uh, – California fires are terrible, but they have kind of raised the eyebrows of of researchers to start – trying to find ways to eliminate these fires. And so you're yeah. seeing a lot of research for thinning timber. Mm-hmm. And in the last two years, I'm trying to think of what I've read. Um, thin timber has, with the, you sent this one or posted this one, but the eastern hemlock, um, they noticed that thinning the the stands of eastern hemlock. Um, yeah. they day uh, around it. Yes, decrease the chances of. Um,
1: the woolly adelgid
0: that's right the disease that's been uh, a main cause of the decline of the eastern hemlock so thinning the timber improved that helped them fight disease we also know in the pine beetles um, down in the southeast that thinning the timber helps them um, prevent getting the disease or getting the uh, pine beetles on them so it improves the health of the tree yeah we also, I've seen a research that shows there's more carbon sequestration. Uh, sequ- <laughs> I always struggle with that word, but there's more carbon taken out of the air and put into the soil through um, thin timber. Um, yep, young forest. Young forest, man. Um, so healthier trees, now we've got healthier air. Um, they are. There's more water taken into the soil. Um, into the underground aquifers so we've got cleaner water and then we also have more habitat better habitat Um, and trees growing much faster so overall in simple terms those seven things right there and and there's many many more I mean don't even get me started on all the species that require woodlands and savannas and young forests that are in decline um, that are benefiting from timber harvest But Uh because of all that, we have healthier, a healthier landscape. And that's not occurring on a lot of our public lands, which is unfortunate. And that's the huge, I guess that's at the end of the end of the podcast. That's one of our biggest things when, when people make the statement, keep it public, keep it public, keep it public or proud public landowner whatever, I'm proud. But then again, I'm not proud of the fact that, if I am a part owner of it, it it's very unproductive land. Yeah, and that's I mean it's it's like somebody gives you a farm. Hear me out. Mm-hmm. Somebody, a great uncle, passes down his farm to you, and then you just say, "Okay, that's cool," and you never go and see it, and you never do anything to manage it. That's what's happening in our public grounds.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's like you know there've been, you know, because to to go back to that like. You know, I – in the realm of, like we both said, like we're very proud of the fact that we had this bump land. We're very proud of all of that stuff. You know, um, obviously with a lot of the volunteer stuff I, I do that – I show that, and it, it is a thing. But the bigger the uh, trying to think of how to put this – an area of the discussion that is very rarely talked about or discussed about because we don't want to – certain people don't want to bother, you know – they call the the term they use called a non-consumptive user. Even though I think every user is consumptive in some way, shape, or form. You know, they're like, oh, we don't want to, we don't want to ruffle their feathers. We don't. You know, it's like we're like trying to hide the fact that we're out there to kill something, and yep. eat it. Like, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm very 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 very. You know, I will discuss it with anybody. I'm not one of these. It's like I'm gonna hang this bad boy, you know, off the front of my truck and drive around, you know, and like, yep. I don't. The the whole process for me is something else that we could also have on another podcast. But in order for me to do what I feel is my calling in life and be the best steward that I can, it's for me to know about the landscape and look at what God laid out for us. And I'm you know, if that bothers somebody that I use his name, you know, you'll get over it. Yeah. But um, you know, look at what he laid out for us, the blueprints he gave us, the maps he gave for us, and replicate it. Like, yes, I I understand there are things that are we've taken away from the landscape that have happened because of human encroachment, you know, you're right. Um, in fact, one of the weirdest things I've ever had to do was um, working for my father-in-law, worked in a, uh, he, he has a restoration company and we had to go to a, uh, <clears throat> a furnace caught fire at a house and we went and we were working and the gentleman comes out. I have an old Hawkin, a, a legitimate Hawken Hawk in my 50. hand, a 50 caliber Hawken. Hawken 50 and, cal? Uh, yeah, man, and dude, let me tell you something. Those men, they were men, because yeah. that bad boy, that thing weighed as much as a Ford Ranger. That thing was huge. That's funny. I'm cleaning the soot off of it, and he starts talking to me, and he says, "You know, he's like, there's a lot of history in your hands, right there." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "That gun right there shot the last bison in Western North Carolina." Holy cow! And I said, "I." It was like it was really weird because, like, I'm a history nerd. I'm just a nerd, but, like, I'm a big history nerd. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, huh. And then it was like, it weighed on me, like, the gun that I'm holding in my hand took away a species that it'll take a millennia to restore. And, on, you know, it's like, like, I was talking about my dream earlier. My dream is for my great, 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 however many grandchild to be walking through a savannah, an oak savanna at about 3,000 feet. Following a trail of dogs chasing a mountain lion with well, a bison tag in their pocket. I don't know, you know if that's I mean? ever going
0: to happen, buddy.
1: I, I think it will when the world gets raised. When the good, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with but, you on that.
1: And and that's just you know I I'll never live to see it. I don't think we'll ever get it back to what it was. And I think you're right. It, it is. It's a. It's an impossible dream. It's an impossible dream. It's unachievable.
0: You know, I don't know if it. To me, it, it comes down to this, and and. I, I'll openly discuss this, but because um, I've I've heard a lot of sermons as of late where our preachers spoke on the end times and how basically we know that that mankind is not the one who gets to destroy the planet. Um, yeah. That's going to happen when when the second coming. Um, yeah. But I will say that he also at the same time in that same book says that he basically he's called us to be stewards of of his landscape that he's created. Um, and And he has put the things in place um He has put everything in place to where it all works in in a very symbiotic relationship to where um it's it's very easy to replicate. The problem is it gets very hard to replicate it when people remove your tools to replicate it, and fire Absolutely. being one of them and grazing being another and uh I think that's very important to where you should understand. And, and there's all kinds of people who preach about habitat management and, and understand the landscape. But uh, to me, I would encourage every single one of you to understand what the goal is. Like, what 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 are you trying to replicate? Because if you're just trying to push an agenda or sell a product, that's that's not the person you want to take your information from. You want to find a way to replicate and understand the true meaning of why we're doing this.
1: Yeah. So. Oh, absolutely. And that and that touches on something that me and you both, and I know Matt holds this dear too, is we lo- we love native species. That's right. And um, a lot of people that are, propon- are opponents to what I call, you know, well, what is habitat management and what that looks like on the landscape, they're very big on doing restoration and very big on using like, well, we need to restore native species. And I, you know, one gentleman, I said, you know what, brother, I agree with you 110%.
0: But I don't think
1: you understand what that, that process looks like. Yep. And it's a lot of people don't understand that it's going to get, it's going, it's not going to be pretty. It's not meant to be pretty to you. You're not, you're not living in it. You yep. know what I mean? That's right. And it's, um, I would love nothing more than to like walk out and look at my grass and it's purple top trident. I'd love nothing more than to go out and look and see like find Carolina silver bells and not have to go and like explore for them. I'd love nothing more than to look at a field and see actual native warm season grasses and not daggum miscanthus Mm -hmm. or see flowering dogwood and not daggum Bradford pears. You know what I mean? That's it. In order for me to make that a possibility, it's going to take a chainsaw. It's going to take, and and now this is rough for me to say, and you know this, and anybody else who knows me knows this, it's going to take a plow. Yeah. Oh, that hurt just saying that.
0: It's going to take take
1: herbicide too. It's going, t- it's going to take It's going something, you know, it's going to take some herbicide. And That's it's right. just, it amazes me when we sit back and we look at the things that we, you know, what has been demonized and what is like, it's almost like it's easy. You know what I mean? I feel like they're easy, easy targets for folks. And like, look, at the end of the day, when we're talking about herbicide, if you're going off label, you're the problem. Yep. You're the reason. You're the reason people go nuts. If yep. you're in one of these groups on Facebook and you're telling somebody to mix something hotter than what that label calls for. That's part of the problem. And then you wonder why people are so mad, or why plants are growing resistant to it. Mm-hmm. Go look in the mirror.
0: Yeah, I, I Sorry, would say I I've look. always heard that. And you know, you you say that though. You say uh, if 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 you're advocating that that, and you want to see the problem, go to this go to this place in your house and stare, and look into the, a far far place because you'll see you'll see the problem when you stare off into the into the mirror, and it's like. Oh, that's a roundabout way of saying you're part of the problem. Yep. And uh yep. I, I i it's a it's a huge problem. Um and it's something though that it does it's gonna take Republicans and Democrats getting on the same page. It's gonna take um anti's and pros getting on the same page and understand we all have the same goal and we just wanna see a healthy landscape. But yes, absolutely. there's a different way of getting there. That's that's our biggest problems. We all have a different view of how to get to a healthy landscape. But first, we have to know what a healthy landscape is. And Mine has always been basically what was happening here before we got here, before really true European settlement happened. Yeah. Um, it was a very, very productive landscape. But at the same time, we're far, far from it now.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the... I just I could go for days on that but I'll stop. I'll stop before I hop down that rabbit trail. It's, a good one. it's like a 3 hour one but for know.
0: sure. And and that's where you know there's we didn't even touch on the farm bill. We said we were going to touch no. on the farm bill. But, but there is there's so much content with this and and that's where I see so many people who are advocating for public lands but not really at the same in the same breath. If you advocate public lands, I hope you start advocating public land management and not Mm -hmm. just we don't need more public lands we can't even manage what we have we have to first figure out how we can be more productive with our public lands and how we can make money off our public lands to where then we can put in more money into management i've said this till i'm blue in the face my family farm for example when we didn't have money for food plot seed by golly we couldn't plant food plots and we don't have money to manage our public lands but yet we still have these people trying to advocate for managing our public lands. Like we have to find ways to make money off our land, um, and that's that's the greatest thing about habitat management is there's ways we can make money off our public lands and and the, and at the same time improve the
1: habitat. Absolutely, and and I think like with that in regards to that going back on the on the public land side of it and how we get the work done is. First off, if anyone's putting their faith in any party or any politician to do, you know, work at, for the best interest for you or for, the, or for the resource, you know, keep dreaming because it's not going to happen. None of them care. Until you vote Adam or Matt in, it's not happening. So the thing is, if you go and you look, and even in the outdoor media, you'll see it like where we have these articles that are released where they're just bashing like they're talking about all the failures of the farm bill or how, you know – and you know people are going to get upset about this but crp wasn't at the the amount of acreage that it was but they don't discuss about you know all the prairie pothole specific crp money that's earmarked all the soil health crp money that's earmarked none of that stuff was discussed it was the overreaching thing of it and none of them discussed about how the environmental quality incentive program was increased Mm -hmm. and all these huge things and how big that is and like you know, I've heard a lot, a lot of folks talk about the Wetland Reserve Program, and they're right. At one time, it was a standalone program, as was the Wildlife Habitat Incentive Program. Wildlife Habitat Incentive Program went into the Equip program, and it's been rocking and rolling. And I can say this as a dude that sits there and helps landowners with the contracts and to put this on the ground. The same thing can be said for the Wetland Reserve Program. In the past, that program had to have a special sign-up. They either came from a state office or a national office, depending on your state. Now it's part of the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program, ACP, and they're signing people up all the time. More and more wetlands through those farm bill programs have the ability and are able to be signed up. It actually loosened a lot of the stuff on it. But what's frustrating to me is certain folks out there in the industry, they don't write about that. They don't talk about that. you know. And my thing is because – I mean, obviously, anybody in the media, they just want clicks, likes, and shares, right?
0: But they're not going to talk about
1: the things we do right.
0: That's right.
1: And it's very frustrating to me because one of the big Farm Bill programs that should be very much celebrated is the Regional Conservation Partnership Program. Not only was it renewed, it was expanded. So that means it gives the ability for multiple users to come in on private lands to focus on a resource. But since we're talking about public lands, the – Adam, do you think the farm bill has a whole lot for public lands? Is there anything that you've heard about from all these outlets? Have you ever heard anything great about the farm bill in regards to public lands? Mm, from
0: what I've heard about, no.
1: So, which that's everybody because no one's talking about it. But if you were to go down east of me to the Croatan National Forest in uh, North Carolina, which is a coastal forest, so we have four national forests, Croatan and Uori, and they're awesome. They're doing great. There's Good Neighbor Authority is a program to where state agencies, now tribal government and county government um, can enter into an agreement with the U.S. Forest Service to put projects that have already gone through NEPA, already have their environmental impact statement, where they can work with them to put that on the ground. And then the the, the U.S. Forest Service will pay them a, a specified rate through another act. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. where it increases their budget and their manpower to where they can get things on the ground shovel ready projects are getting on the ground croatan they're doing that with the north carolina wildlife resource commission on pisgah they're doing it with the north carolina forest service um not far from me there's a place where they're putting in an aquatic organism passage with uh one of my counterparts in another county here in western north carolina the state of idaho they are rocking and rolling on u.s forest service land using the good neighbor authority and that is a Farm Bill program. Mm. Another one, another one is that nobody wants to talk about, or I don't think it's nobody wants to talk about. It. I think people just they don't talk about it because it's not sexy. I don't know, but it's the CFLR, Collaborative Forest Landscape Restoration, and it is a huge, 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 huge program. In fact, on the Grandfather Ranger District here in North Carolina, on the Pisgah Nan- Pisgah National Forest, they're using CFLR, and they are doing great restoration work they're reintroducing fire, they're starting to address some invasives, they're starting to look at some other stuff. Not only was it renewed in this farm bill, it was expanded. That's huge. That's huge, but it's not discussed, it's not talked about. And that's frustrating to me, very much so, because the farm bill is a very big public lands package, and it frustrates me to where when it said it's not one, in my opinion, that shows people have not given it the time of day or looked at it, right, because it's not the the one that's going to get the clicks, the likes, links, shares, whatever—it's not going to get that. But there's a lot of stuff on there. Expect another one: voluntary public access habitat improvement project, which does exactly what it says: voluntary or voluntary public access
0: helps yes. people get on there.
1: Pennsylvania's right. used it, Illinois's used it. I think the Dakotas have used it. There's so Kansas. many states that are using it.
0: Kansas uses it, and it's
1: it's yes, it's increasing the amount of public land that we have for people to go and hunt and fish and trap on, but also addressing the habitat. So it it gets to the point to where there are a lot of tools out there in that toolbox. And they're doing a very daggum good job with the continued defunding and the continued rolling back of federal employees and all these things. And instead of celebrating those things and focusing on those things, we want to do some campaign where we're going to pit ourselves, us versus them, or us against other hunters, or, you know, Oh, you don't hunt the way I do on public lands. You're not a true. You know what I mean? Yep. All this crap, and that's the thing. It is crap. So if someone's not celebrating these things, in my opinion, maybe you need to start vetting them and asking them why.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Because the other thing is, Adam, I haven't even talked about Title Eight, which is forestry and the All Lands Initiative that is being driven for between the Forest Service and the NRCS, because they're post both of them are Department of Agriculture. Those two agencies are instructed to come together to look at a watershed-scale approach on all lands. Mm. And, I mean, it's it's awesome stuff, but we're not hearing anything about it. And sportsmen need to be the ones – sportsmen and sportswomen, all them – they need to be the ones to call and talk to their land managers about this and call and talk to their people about it. If you care about public lands and it being in public hands, this is a primary – these are primary examples of programs and projects that you can ask and work with and help with. Yeah. <clears throat> Instead of like us getting up up in arms about, you know, whatever fallacies are created about, you know, I don't care. All right. Nah, well, I won't you're also, getting worked I'll, up, I, man. I we're up on fire. an hour.
0: We're going to have to have you back on sometime. And that's why. <laughs> Sorry. Oh man, Uh, it just goes uh, on and on. That's why you and I are—we're planning on writing an article coming up soon. uh, We are about about part of this because it is something that's near and dear to our hearts that nobody's talking about. No, and
1: it's—and you gotta wonder why. You gotta wonder why that's not being discussed.
0: Well, it's easy to talk about stuff. You said it earlier. Everybody wants to talk Aldo Leopold until it comes time to do Aldo Leopold stuff.
1: I have a theory on why that is. I think we have a lot of lazy people. Well, I was going to say, because of laziness? It's easy to talk. Talk is cheap, man. Man, but getting a chainsaw in your hand and worried about getting a splinter or, you know, sucking smoke for a little bit. Aldo Aldo planted a lot of trees.
0: He cut a lot of trees. And he Mm -hmm. burned a lot of ground. Mm -hmm. And he did write about it. But a lot of people just want to talk about what he did rather than
1: implement it. do what he did. And the so, thing that bothers me the most is they're going to let some person that's elected into an office pit them against me, even though our interests, mine and their interests, are so in line and so, so much the same. Yeah. That they're going to let you know a distinction between an R and a D decide how they view stuff. That's right. It makes me sick to my stomach.
0: Yeah.
1: And it scares me for the future of what we do, but also the future of the landscape. You know, what am I leaving my kids? Yeah. Sorry, I I start going on tangents.
0: So here's my question for you. Would you rather okay. out of the five tools Aldo Leopold talks about? Which one would you if you could only have if you could only have two, which one would they be? Which ones
1: would they be? Which two can I can I make that specific to Western North Carolina? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For your man for your farm. <sighs> Gosh, oh,
0: And for everybody, that's a a plow, a cow, a saw, or it was an axe. Um,
1: All right. I'm going to use an axe and a cow. An axe and a cow, huh? And I'm going to say why. All right. After uh, the gentleman out of Missouri was talking about the quail. Yep, Mr. Cow. You know? Yeah. And he had that, if you think about mimicking buffalo here, um, I could, you know, I could mimic pretty good with a cow. Yep.
0: And I'm gonna I can say do a lot of
1: daylight. daylight what's his backs.
0: actual one? I think it's a like a flame, a drip torch, a match, a match. Yep. I think's how he puts it. I want to say yep. a, uh flame and cows because, and I know it's going to be hard as heck to try and thin that timber, but over time, I'm going to get a fire hot enough to kill some trees, and as soon as <laughs> I do. Then I'm gonna have some awesome habitat. <laughs> gotcha. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair man. Enough. Oh man. Well, always a pleasure, Tyler. And uh, yeah, man. Hopefully we didn't. Uh, I hope we spread some awareness of of people that maybe the next time they hear somebody talking about public lands or whatever, they'll they'll beg the question. Okay, how would you want to manage it? Or what what are you implying when you say? public lands like we need to it's it's one thing it'd be like me advocating let's buy a house let's buy a house or as a as a kid you're like i want a horse i want a horse i want a horse then you actually get the horse and it's like now what i do with it like you got to feed it you got to brush it you got to take care of it like you can't just say you want it and then not be willing to take care of it and that's that's what i fear for when people make that statement about public lands is they just want it to hunt on it and that's it there's a yeah. whole lot more that goes into owning a land than or owning yeah. a, a landscape than than just owning it. So
1: People just need to embrace the responsibility that comes with that. It's a lot of fun, you man. Know. It's not it's, just, awesome,
0: but. it's it's a lot of fun and it's it's very rewarding. Way more rewarding than a golf game. Yep. So anyway buddy, absolutely appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and giving away my email address and uh,
1: I lied. That's not his real
0: email. Yeah, Yeah. I think we've given it in the past anyway, so it's all good. But anyway, man, um, enjoy the family, and we will uh, we'll talk to you next time.
1: All right, see you, Adam.